This is the Truth About Investing Back to Basics podcast, where we want to help you take control of your personal finance and long-term investments. If you're looking for a way to learn the why and how of investing, then you found the right place. Thank you for taking the time to learn how to better yourselves. I guess we should record. Okay. Right. Uh, yes, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of The Truth About Investing Back to Basics. My name is Chris Holling. And I'm Sean Cooper. Today, we are going to move back out of the stretch of asking me questions because, uh, well, I I just don't know enough. <laughs> 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 I we we're getting back into the into the void the the pond that is stuff that I still don't understand. So I you know when when we when we need to get back onto the the term about the different intricacies between you know root beer and sarsaparilla or uh, <laughs> or whether or not a hot dog is a sandwich, then you know I think I think I'm your guy. But uh, until then. I think <laughs> I think we gotta go back to me asking you questions. <laughs> well, uh, first so today, off, I think the whole concept of root beer versus sarsaparilla really depends on if you're talking about root beer versus traditional sarsaparilla or what we can call today as sarsaparilla. You know, I don't even know that I uh, I I haven't even looked into that. I I don't know the answer to that. Well, I do you, know you can't find traditional sarsaparilla anymore because. I, I think you'd get all sorts of lawsuits for letting someone consume it at this day and age. But does it have cocaine in it? I don't think it was cocaine, but it wasn't. It wasn't cocaine? good for you. I could say cocaine, but now it is more like root beer. That's for sure. Well, I can tell you today the main difference is there's more wintergreen in sarsaparilla oh. than in the than in the root beer. So if it has a very wintergreeny taste. It's likely to be sarsaparilla. Probably explains why I like some sarsaparilla better than most root beer. There you go. That that'll do it. Yeah, yeah. See, Psst. learning. Lear- uh, well, yeah, you don't you don't have any more questions for me, even though I didn't even answer the one question you asked me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, today we are going to talk about hedge funds. Uh, parentheses accredited investors uh do i i i think i think (laughs) (laughs) accredited define the hedge fund first define do your (laughs) definition of the hedge fund first we'll we'll get to accredited (laughs) investors down the road and we've actually talked about that before too (laughs) i think a hedge fund is uh is that uh, you, you you pull out you pull out that hedge trimmer and then and you and you go out and then you you make your bushes all cube like cuz cuz you live in the Stepford wives land and then after you trim it and you throw the excess into a black trash bag uh, and then that's that's your that's your available hedge or your hedge funds within a uh, a compiled sack you, you know what that uh, made me think of um, have you ever read the ultimate hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy uh yes i have yeah you know uh i can't remember which uh, book it is uh but it's one of the later books and he, uh 
the people, I, I believe it's, he comes back to earth and uh, the people have basically regressed um, and they have started using leaves as currency. And so they're all walking <laughs> around with just like tons of leaves in their, you know, packed in their shirts and their trousers because, and, you know, they have horrible inflation because there's so much currency available and yeah. Anyway, that's that's what that made me think of. It's uh, it's it's that's just I'd say that's only like one more generation past the idiocracy stage. The uh, the Brando, yeah. the thirst mutilator. Yeah, has it has electrolytes in it. <laughs> you you should be watering your crops with with water. What not not Brando? It's got electrolytes in it. No, I I know you should be using water. You mean like. Like from the toilet? <laughs> That's gross. Uh, okay, yeah. Well, we're we're doing we're doing well here so far. Mm-hmm. This is, this is good. Suffice okay. it to say, that's not what a hedge fund is. Just <laughs> shows what you know. You just don't you just don't trim enough hedges. That's Apparently not. <laughs> Apparently not. Tell me. Okay, no. Okay, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna actually guess, um, a hedge to me are and i'm kind of piecing together some some stuff i've been learning lately so here we go uh you can utilize alternative investments like perhaps gold or silver and utilize it as a hedge in the market if you somehow miraculously knew that there was going to be a big crash tomorrow that you might want to have some gold or silver or some other form of a hedge to try and offset some of that and so i would believe a hedge fund would be funds that that are of the same the cut of the same cloth but not outright just simple precious metals and so it's a it's a fund and the fund is managed by hedge fund managers and and they are the ones that, in fact, say, yes, you should invest in leaves because <laughs> the leaves will be him. <laughs> Currency. <laughs> uh, no, you actually, that? you actually touched on a number of the concepts around hedge funds. I, I, I won't say that you leaves. necessarily defined yeah. it, but you, you definitely <laughs> touched on some of the concepts. Well, good. Okay. See, I'm kind of with it. Yeah. No, tell, you, you tell pieced me, it together tell me decently. More. <laughs> uh, so traditionally, yes, hedge funds were more or less what they sounded like. They were uh, investments, funds designed and managed to hedge your traditional market risk or hedge some sort of specific risk. Uh, today, the, they're, they're much broader than that. They're not necessarily hedging anything depending on the the hedge fund that you're investing in um and and what do we refer to as hedge you know we should probably define that a little bit you know you you, you've probably heard the phrase hedge your bets um yes i have yeah actually look at me i i I do know stuff yeah so you know about cards then Uh, yeah not necessarily about investing but sure (laughs) (laughs) anyway um, no, but so in, in the investing realm, to give you an example of what it would look like to uh, 
hedge your investments. So let's say, for example, you have purchased a stock. And again, I'm going to reference the future here because this is one of the concepts that we haven't delved into yet. But one of the things you could do to hedge that investment risk because you've bought into this stock, you've bought bought into the company. If that company something horrible happens to it or they go bankrupt or there's just some really bad negative news and they lose tons of value, you lose your shirt on your investment. Um, A way to hedge that, so reduce the risk, so you're hedging your risk, would be to buy a put. So a put is an option. It gives you the option to sell a set number of securities at a set price. So, for example, let's say you own a stock that's currently trading at $55 a share. You buy an out-of-the-money put at $50 a share. That gives you the option to sell at for $50. So if that okay. stock were to tumble, it drops down to $30, then you would exercise that put and you would actually sell the stock at $50 a share even though it's only valued at $30 a share. So that was your okay. your hedge. Um, the limiting factor why you, you wouldn't necessarily do this all the time is because it costs money to buy that put, that option. And oh, yeah. Okay. So I, no, I, that was that was just a big realization because that's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, why why wouldn't you do that? <laughs> like, right. Like why wouldn't you just set limits on everything right. all the time? Because it costs money. Okay. Yep. It's right. going to reduce money. your your overall profitability potentially. Got it. Uh, But it can reduce your risk. And that's what a hedge is, is a way to reduce risk in this scenario. So traditionally, that's what a hedge fund refers to is some means of hedging or reducing your your risk or offsetting your risk in one way or another. Today, that's not necessarily what the hedge fund is doing, depending on what you're investing in. Uh, Technically speaking, Today, if somebody refers to a hedge fund, really they're most likely just referring to something that is not a 40-act fund, so something that's not registered under the Investment Company Act of 1940, like a mutual fund or would be. Hmm. Okay. So it's become much broader than what the traditional sense of hedge fund would be. Now, because it's not registered, uh, it's it, it's not subject to the same rules as a 40-act fund. There are uh, fewer restrictions on what they can do, more perceived risk associated with it. And so uh, only accredited investors can invest in hedge funds. Now, there, there are some loopholes in that, but for the most part, only accredited investors can invest in hedge funds with the notion being that they either have more knowledge of the investments or are in a financial position to take on that additional risk, whereas the uh, average Joe uh, investor is not allowed to invest in those because they're not falling under the same rules and restrictions and guidance and all of that that a 40 act fund would be and so go ahead and i'm and so you being an accredited investor can do that right so i would be considered an accredited investor because of my designations and and what i do okay yeah okay um traditionally for for most people uh, accredited investor has more to do with uh, assets 
and income. So uh, you have to have a net worth of a million dollars or more, or you have to have had an income that exceeds 200000 a year as an individual, 300000 a year as a joint filer for at least the prior two years with reasonable expectations of making that much or more in the future. So either, either one of those uh, categories would allow you to. Uh, yeah, I'm really close on this one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So... Uh, but that's how you are able to invest. That's how you qualify as an accredited investor and would allow you to invest in a hedge fund. Now, th- that's not the only restriction, though, because most hedge funds have very high minimum investments. And what I mean by that is on the low end, you're typically looking at a minimum investment of, say, like $100,000. Oh, wow. Okay. So if you're looking at a portfolio and you're saying, oh, I'd like to put, you know, five, maybe 10% into this hedge fund, five or 10%, if that's $100,000, you're looking at a portfolio of at least a million, probably $2 million. Wow. And some of these hedge funds have minimums of 250,000 or maybe even a million dollars. So you, you really do have to have some fairly substantial funds to be able to invest in them unless you're putting in a very concentrated position. I mean, if so at, Go ahead. At the at the risk of sounding ignorant, and and kind of, I, I, when you said a net worth, but then you also said that there might be a certain amount that needs to get applied into it. Does that does that include like net worth? Maybe I didn't understand that. But like, say say you have the million dollars in your net worth because you have some properties. Does that mean that you could invest? with that or you're saying that you need the 250,000 in cash to do so I, I like I think I understood it but like where where does the separation happen between those Right so you're you're talking about two different hurdles number 1 would be the accredited investor hurdle actually qualifying as an accredited investor and having that right. million dollars net worth which by the way excludes your primary residence so you can't count okay. your your primary residence in that Okay. Uh, sure. factor. That makes sense. Um, but the second would be their minimum investment. So if you have a bunch of money, uh, if you have a net worth of, you know, a billion or even a couple million, but it's all tied up in real estate, unless you're mm-hmm. talking about doing some kind of, um, uh, it wouldn't necessarily be a 1031 exchange. Uh, I can't remember the exact uh, exchange that it would be. But unless you're looking at doing an exchange where you basically exchange the, the, the real estate for the investment, you would need the you would need to have liquidity. You would have to actually generate the cash to invest in the hedge fund because uh, unless the hedge fund is investing in real estate specifically, then you you can't do any type of exchange there easily. So that's actually kind of an interesting thing because I don't I don't know that we've really touched on that before, and I'm I'm familiar with it just with <laughs> you know according to our last episode where I I clearly have been involved in real estate investing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny. It's weird to actually like call myself a real estate investor now. Like I'm still not. I'm. St- it still feels. I feel. I feel dirty <laughs> when I say it. Like I just. I, <laughs> I mean, if it makes you feel better, anybody who buys a house is technically a real estate investor. It's just a matter of what level you're becoming a real estate investor. You're taking it to a different <laughs> level because you are in fact uh, doing uh, the rental portion as well. Right. That's that's yes. I I agree with you. It's it, I. You're totally gonna throw me off topic. Don't sorry. You, you stop that. I, I've I, like squirrel brain here. So like you gotta you no. Okay. 
So with the uh, the 1031 exchange, how that works, and and I'm I'm pretty sure I understand how it works out as a whole. So really, correct me if I'm wrong on any of this. But the 1031 exchange works at where you you sell a property of some sort that uh, really whether you're living in it or not. And then there is a certain amount of capital gains that happens usually through appreciation of, of some sort. And then at the end of the year, if you have that money in your pocket, then you are supposed to pay the, or, or you will <laughs> pay the capital gains tax that exists from uh, being taxed on what your profit margin was from those capital gains of selling the property. Whereas a 1031 exchange, if you go through with that, then that is you take the capital gains and then you put it into a, I believe it's equal or above, but it's at least above uh, in in value or size property. Uh, and if you put it straight into that, then you do not get taxed on your capital gains in the process. Did I miss anything on that? Uh, well, first off, I'm assuming you're not talking or about gets primary deferred. residence. I'm, I'm assuming you're not talking about primary no, residence. No, I'm not talking about a primary residence. Because then you have your own set of rules that can allow you to bypass. A townhouse that you own that's down the road and you sell it. And then if you pocket the difference in change from like what you pay the mortgage company and whatever, and then that's it, then you're going to get taxed on that amount that went into your pocket. Whereas... If you take that money and then you purchase a uh, three-bed, two-bath house because it's larger than the townhome, also down the block, and you use that money in the course of the same year, then you do not get taxed on that because you did a ten. If you do a ten thirty-one exchange, then you do not get taxed on your capital gains because you just immediately placed it back into the next property. Am I? Am I? describing that correctly more or less yeah there are a number of restrictions in terms of time frame like you have to actually move the money within a certain window um the uh, new purchase has to be uh, substantially similar so you couldn't for the most part you couldn't uh take like a a townhome and then buy raw land they wouldn't view that as uh similar enough to qualify for the 1031 exchange sure but like a a home or like a townhouse and then into a duplex and especially a duplex into like a fourplex like a multifamily do a multifamily you should be able to use it for those though correct yeah okay okay so as as long as that's that's established that that the the 1031 on side of that so now that we know what a 1031 is then you're saying that there's a a variation of that where it's not a 1031 but similar to that where you can sell the property and then your capital gains can get utilized to get placed into a an investment fund of some sort through a a different form but then you're not getting taxed on the capital gains as long as it's going straight into investing is that what you're saying uh it would have to be a a real estate investment of some sort oh okay okay so of like of like things yes to do so correct yeah yeah you couldn't say uh exchange your um townhome in this example or house or whatever for a fund that's investing in um futures contracts uh, for um wheat or whatever yeah they wouldn't they wouldn't allow that exchange well, and I'm I'm talking as a whole, and not just the 1031 here now at this point. And you're you're saying that 
because you were saying there's something that's like a 1031 but it's not quite yeah like, i'm trying to remember the describing? exact number for you um but the purpose is, is it, it would have to stay within the like of, of real estate in this. Yeah, it would still have to be real estate, yes. Okay. That's that's mainly what I was curious about. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Okay. No, that's good. Uh, the other thing to be aware of there is with like the 1031 exchange, for example, you can continue doing it. So you can take your, your real estate, sell it, use that money to buy another one. You can do it again and again over and over but once you go into a fund like a REIT so you exchange into a REIT you can't go back out to uh, hard uh, assets uh, you can't go back out to buying a house or something like that okay so yeah um, one thing to be aware of anyway but that's sure. you know there are hedge funds that uh, invest in real estate but uh, otherwise that's just kind of what we were ta- talking about there so right no, I just wanted to touch on that while we were while we were on it. That's for all. sure, for sure. So, and one of the one of the things the disadvantages I talked about with hedge funds was the uh, that those high minimums. So, uh, the the minimum investment. Some of the other things that you'd want to be aware of if you were going to you know if you met these requirements and could invest in hedge funds are going to be lockup periods. So a lot of hedge funds are going to have uh, very low liquidity. So you can't just take your money out at any time the way you could with you know, a mutual fund. You sell it, it sells at the end of the day. T plus two is uh, trading plus two days, so three days for the funds to be available for you to take them out and move them back to your, your checking account or what have you. So you're looking at what? A total, maybe four to five days there total. With a hedge fund, you know, and if it's a stock or an ETF, it's going to be even faster than that because the trading in, is instantaneous. Liquidity is still T plus two. But with the, the hedge fund, they're going to typically have lockup periods and then liquidity events. So a hedge fund might say, okay, you can't get your funds out for your, your lockup period is one year. They're going to be liquid, quarterly liquidity events after that time. So you can access your funds once per quarter. If you miss that window, tough. You have to wait for the next quarter, quarterly window to actually access your funds. Some of them might have lockup periods of five years. You know, if if they're certain types of investments where they're investing in a very non-liquid asset, so like a new company or uh, you know a bunch of private equity companies, and they aren't going to have liquidity events until those companies sell then they have no money to pay you. Those funds are locked up. So there might be a very long lockup period in those instances. So liquidity is a big thing when it comes to hedge funds. And part of why a lot of uh, average investors really can't afford to do it in in addition to the, the low minimums is they just can't have their funds locked up for that long period of time. Gotcha. Uh, another aspect of it is they do tend to have five fees, at least traditionally. The most common fee structure in the past for hedge funds has been what's called 2 and 20. So that's a 2% annual fee of your assets under management plus 20% of profits. Okay. So you're going to pay 2% annually. So let's say you invest that 100000 You're going right. to pay 2% in that first year. Those assets mm-hmm. grow to say 110,000, so that you're okay. going to pay. So you've paid the two. We'll say the 110 growth is after paying the two. Then you've got 10,000 dollars of growth. You're going to pay 20% of that, 
because that's your the the 20 so that's another 2000 oh, okay. so now you're at 108 so that next year you're going to pay 2% of 108,000 okay. which is a little over 2000 um And then from there, you know, depending on what the market does, let's say if it if it drops back down, that that one uh, one ten is basically now a high water mark for you for most hedge funds. So that the two and twenty, the twenty portion, is only going to kick in if you get a back above that. So if it if it drops down and you go down to one hundred five or back down to a hundred or less, you're not going to. And then it jumps back up to like one. So. It's, it drops down to 90, jumps back up to 105. You're not going to pay that 20% again because all they did was recover their losses. It's not until you get back above that above that high watermark, that 110 in this scenario, that you're going to start paying the 20% again. You're still going to pay the 2% annually, but you're not going to pay the 20 until there are actual gains in the account. Okay. Okay, I think that makes sense. So in that, that scenario... You go from 110, you know, they do great and they go up to 150. Okay, well, now you're going to pay the 20% on that other 40,000 of gains. Okay, but the 2% annual is going to happen regardless. So 2 and 20. Gotcha. Okay. Um, two, 2 and 20. Yep. 2 and 20 rule. Yeah, that that's general. There, there are other structures out there. Some of them just do the profit sharing where... You know, only gain. They only charge you based on the the gains that they make. Uh, some of them have just a, a very low annual fee, and then they they make most of their money off of the gains. Uh, it, it it varies a fair bit, but that's the general rule. So you you do want to be aware of it and understand that it tends to be fairly high because two and twenty. You know, you're guaranteed to give up twenty percent of your your profits plus you're paying two percent annually. So it it adds up pretty quick. Sure. Um, they're also often investing in things that tend to be fairly risky. Um, you know, again, that varies a great deal depending on the hedge fund that you're investing in, but they, they can invest in things that tend to be fairly risky. So you want to be aware of that as well. That's on, that's the disadvantage is the advantages, uh, there are a variety. So because they're not regulated in the same way, they tend to have some more leniency in terms of what they can invest in, how they can invest. That provides some unique opportunities, um, whether it's uh, direct investments, uh, like we were talking about direct investments in private equity or um, a variety of other things where you're, you're getting access uh, directly to these funds, there's not multiple layers of removal between you and the the underlying investment. Uh, by having that direct investment, it actually provides uh, for uh, lower lower correlation, more diversification. We've talked about that a little bit in the past. Um, there, there's also some more unique strategies that they can employ by having that that leniency, that leeway in terms of what they do. A lot of them will employ. Uh, uh, leverage mutual funds are able to do in ETFs are able to do that now as well but it's, it's just a different uh, feel from that standpoint um, and, but ultimately that's what you're shooting for is that lower correlation with the hedge funds uh, unique strategies and direct investments that you might not otherwise get in a mutual fund we, we've talked before about the concept of alternatives and how 
investing in these alternatives provides that lower correlation, that diversification that you're looking for to uh, balance out a portfolio, the closer you can get to the underlying investment, typically the better you're going to be with that uh, in terms of the enhancements to your portfolio. So for example, um, there are mutual funds and ETFs that invest in some alternatives and they are built on or potentially even managed by the same people that manage hedge funds. So they track the same things, but they're not necessarily able to invest in them in the exact same ways. And by being in the general market, the hedge fund, the mutual fund is going to naturally be more heavily correlated to traditional asset classes than the, uh, the hedge fund is going to be. Um, and that liquidity actually plays a role in that. And we, we saw that in 2008, 2009, where um, as people were selling in 2008, they were panic selling. They were selling things, whether the valuation was uh, actually going down or not. Quite frankly, hedge fund investors didn't have that ability because of lockup periods, because of liquidity events. And so they, they couldn't panic sell to the same degree and so valuations held more to a a more logical level if you will for an extended period of time and and so i mean when you're when you're looking at these like uh, i don't know if this is too broad of a question because you're you're kind of in in depth on on how these all piece together at a kind of at its core but like when do you kind of start to say uh, I'm, i'm not even asking the question very well do you do you look at hedge funds as something that is a like you strive to get to a a point where you're able to afford it and hey i i want a majority of my investing to be in a hedge fund or is it is it something that is kind of kind of like we talked about before where it's a another tool for the toolbox type thing where you have x amount of investments and you want this to exist as as something in addition to your repertoire, like w- where, where do you start to consider it's time to look at hedge funds and not just the the monetary and the limitations and stuff? Like where where do you start to consider maybe I should look into this? Does that make sense? Uh, yes, yes. Um, it, it depends on why you're investing in the hedge funds. So you can get you can invest in hedge funds that invest in traditional equity and to me unless they're employing some kind of very unique strategy i don't necessarily see a point i i i view the hedge funds as in the alternatives realm uh i think that's where their their niche really excels and so from that standpoint i view it as a a target something to strive for because it, it the the overall goal of alternatives is to provide lower correlation, better diversification, to enhance or optimize the risk return trade-offs of the portfolio, and hedge funds traditionally do a better job of that than mutual funds or ETFs. So I, I do view it as a, a goal, a target for that portion of the portfolio, not for the whole portfolio, okay. if that makes sense. Okay, yeah. That totally makes sense. I don't, I don't I think it's worthwhile to pay the the higher fees for hedge funds for some of your traditional asset classes. Sure, and and that's that's what I was getting at. Like I, I was I was wanting to address like, oh, okay, I could 
I just have enough to get into this and that's it. It would take it would take all of my capital or all of my everything to get into this. Should it be enough to be like, yeah, let's let's make it work or if it should be something to add tools to the toolbox is, is really what I was getting right. at. So it Yep. This is exactly what I was getting after. Perfect. Yeah. And the other thing to consider is, you know, if like we talked about, if you're going to be investing in these, uh, most likely you're going to want some diversification between them because you don't want just the, you happen to pick a hedge fund that just does really poorly. Um, mm-hmm. So ideally, you'd want to have a few of them, which means a you're meeting the minimums for each of them, and b if it's only a piece of your portfolio, your overall portfolio has to be large enough to meet all of those minimums and still do the rest of your investing. So, gotcha. Yeah, that's that's the gist of hedge funds. I mean, it's okay. uh, you, you've got some hurdles to overcome. There's de- some definite advantages. Uh, I, we've talked about some of the strategies uh, before uh, in our alternatives. Yeah. Uh, podcasts, yeah, hedge funds do a lot of that. That's where it started. Uh, mutual funds and ETFs have only recently started uh, providing some of those. And like I said, they don't do it quite as well at this point. They 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 help the average investor get into some of those strategies, um, but they're they're not perfect. Um, so. No, that's that's perfect. And actually, that's that's why I asked the question that I did, where I wanted to make sure that it was a. You know, we've we've talked about this before. We've talked about hedging to kind of offset some stuff, and and when we've discussed things like diversifying portfolio, and and that's that's why I wanted to ask where it was because we're we're continuing to grow the you know take this in consideration. This might be something that would be additional to what you want to take on, and and that's exactly what this is. So I'm I'm glad we're encompassing that of being a you know yeah as as I'm saying this too many times, you know more more tools for the toolbox kind of thing exactly yeah it's a piece to consider and it's not for everyone because like i said there are there are issues with it the liquidity is a huge one Uh, certainly meeting the minimums is a big one and the fees are a hurdle um but like i said you look at uh the big endowments yale harvard 60 percent private equity that's not a that's not a liquid 60 percent but they also have such large assets that they're working with that they they know the amount that's going to be coming out of the endowments so they can uh, plan for that liquidity years in advance and have it available and they can still deal with all those lockups. The average investor can't put 60% in private equity and deal with the lockups that are associated with it. So right. it, it's, a di- it's a different view, uh, but it's one that I think is worth emulating to a certain degree for many people, um, but it's not for everybody. Right. Sure. That absolutely makes sense. Okay. Great. Well, uh, is there anything else that you, you think we should would touch on with it, or how do you feel with it? No, I'm I'm good. We hit everything I was I was shooting for. So fairly simple concept today. I mean, uh, fairly short concept. I I, I sure. should say. Yeah. Yeah. I I think I think that's that's putting it well <laughs> well and uh, you know just uh just go go out and go. Go collect your your leaves for <laughs> for your your bag of hedges, <laughs> and then maybe someday you'll have uh, a, a value of two hundred fifty thousand leaves available to uh, 
<laughs> I don't know. I'm just babbling at this point. Cool. No, I'm glad we were able to touch on this. We were able to to get after another opportunity. Well, let's let's wrap us up then. Uh, thank you again, everyone, for joining us here on the Truth About Investing Back to Basics. My name is Chris Holling. And I'm Sean Cooper. And we will catch you on the next episode here in our season. I was, I was trying to attach something to it. I was trying to to encourage... I don't, I don't know what I was trying to do. I was trying to... I was trying to uh, blossom our our outro. And <laughs> I'm just I'm just blossom like, like yeah with hedges. Yeah, I, like, I knew where you were going. <laughs> okay, <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll catch you guys next time. <laughs> Podcast disclaimer disclaimer. The disclaimer following this disclaimer is the disclaimer that is required for this podcast to be up and running and fully functioning and moving forward. This is going to be the same disclaimer that you will hear in each one of our episodes. We hope you enjoy it just as much as we enjoyed making it. All content on this podcast and accompanying transcript is for informational purposes only. Opinions expressed herein by Sean Cooper are solely those of Fit Financial Consulting, LLC, unless otherwise specifically cited. Chris Holling, that's me, is not affiliated with Fight Financial Consulting LLC, nor do the views expressed by Chris Holling, me again, represent the views of Fit Financial Consulting LLC. This podcast is intended to be used in its entirety. Any other use beyond the author's intent, distribution, or copying of its contents of this podcast is strictly prohibited. Nothing in this podcast is intended as legal, accounting, or tax advice and is for informational purposes only. All information or ideas provided should be discussed in detail with an advisor, accountant, or legal counsel prior to implementation. This podcast may reference links to websites for the convenience of our users. Our firm has no control over the accuracy or content of these other websites. Advisory services are offered through Fit Financial Consulting, LLC, an investment advisor firm registered in the states of Washington and Colorado. The presence of this podcast on the internet shall not be directly or indirectly interpreted as a solicitation of investment advisory services to persons of another jurisdiction unless otherwise permitted by statute. Follow-up or individualized responses to consumers in a particular state by our firm in the rendering of personalized investment advice for compensation shall not be made without our first complying with jurisdiction requirements or pursuant an applicable state exemption. For information concerning the status or disciplinary history of a broker-dealer, investment advisor, or other representatives, a consumer should contact their state securities administrator. Amen. (laughs) The science when we laugh and why Americans like jokes that include insults or vague threats. (laughs) I believe that. Texas, (laughs) Texas says, where are you from? Harvard graduate, I come from a place where we do not end sentences with prepositions. Uh, all right. Where are you from, Jack? (laughs) (laughs) Recording button pushed. Blue. Green. Smurr burgundy.
it's myrrh burgundy. <laughs> I I was starting to say seven, and then and then I thought, why would I why would I switch to numbers? I should go to like a shape. And so then I started to say square, and then I was like, well, maybe I need another color. What color starts with S? I was like, I don't know a color that starts with S. Silver now, but I was like, it's burgundy. Wasn't coming to you at the time. That's fair. 